Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in this morning on our weekly radio broadcast. This broadcast is one of many offerings that we are currently trying to help engage our congregation with, and whether or not you are a part of our congregation, we are grateful for you listening in and staying engaged in this strange season in which we find ourselves. If you are interested in finding out a bit more about us as a church family, I would highly encourage you to go to collegehills.org where you can find out more about our on-campus and our online gatherings. We have gatherings that meet every Sunday morning and every Wednesday evening, but we also offer some online streaming options on Sunday morning as well. If you ever end up missing this weekly radio broadcast, I want to remind you that every Monday or Tuesday morning, we put this radio broadcast out in the form of a podcast. And so if you would go to your local iTunes account or wherever you listen to your podcast and search for College Hills Church, you'll be able to find our weekly podcast, and there you can subscribe. And every Monday or Tuesday morning, you will get not just our weekly radio sermon, but also our weekly pulpit sermon. Again, we're trying to create a variety of ways for you to connect and engage, and hopefully one of those will be helpful to you and helpful to your faith in this season in which we find ourselves. We're currently moving through a series in this Sunday morning radio broadcast that we're calling Snapshots of Good News, Looking for and Living Out the Gospel of Jesus. And what we're trying to do in this series is look at different passages from the Gospels, different snapshots from Jesus' life that I think embody things that are central to and priorities of His mission and ministry, this kingdom message, this gospel message. And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at different prayers and passages and parables from the life of Jesus that hopefully have given us insight into who He was, what He was about, and what He wants us to be about in our world today. And as we move towards the end of this series, this morning we're going to be looking at a passage in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35. But I want to start reading in verse 20 of Mark 3 and then read into verse 35. Jesus says these words in this encounter. Then Jesus entered a house. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Elzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons." So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever 
blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are looking for you outside. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today and for this new week, for this opportunity to hear your word. And we ask that you would give us the gift of open hearts as we hear this word. I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would allow these reflections and allow this sermon to to be a way in which you bring about transformation in our lives. God, help us this week to not just see Jesus, but also to live out the good news of Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. On May 11th, 1935, President Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 7037 establishing the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration. At that point in our country's history, it was estimated that over 5 million farms were without electricity of any kind due to the long distance most farms were from central power stations. It would have cost the power companies too much money to venture that far out with electricity. However, the creation of the REA helped to make electricity a possibility to many farms and many farmers. So for the first time in their lives, these farms could now be powered by electricity. Everything changed for these farmers because of this new arrival. As electric lines began to pop up across our American farmland, there was a new kind of life now available for the farmers. Instead of kerosene lamps and lanterns, they could tap into light switches and light bulbs. Instead of ice boxes and cellars, they could tap into deep freezers and refrigerators. Instead of a life of irregular strikes of electricity in the form of lightning, they could tap into a life of consistent and regular flowing electricity. Their entire lives changed with this new arrival of flowing electricity all around them. All they needed to do was to rearrange their lives in such a way as to tap into this flowing, powerful new resource available to them. This story is a helpful metaphor when considering the entrance of Jesus into our world. Because with the arrival of Jesus, a completely new way of life became possible to people. The arrival of Jesus created a consistent and regular flow of God, and everything changed. And if I were to sum up how Jesus describes this change, it could be done with his very first words in Mark's gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. These words are the first words out of the mouth of Jesus in Mark's gospel. 
They are the opening sermon of Jesus, and they set a trajectory for everything that's going to follow in Mark's gospel. Because the announcement of the kingdom of God is central to the message of Jesus. When we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about the rule of God, the reign of God, the arrangement of God. When we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about the realm where what God wants gets done, where God's desires are fulfilled, where what God wants and wills comes into being. The kingdom of God is all about where the will of God is happening. And so when Jesus comes along calling people to repent, he is inviting them into a new way of life. He is inviting them to be a part of this new reality of God, or to use our opening metaphor, he is basically saying, turn around, change your life, because the electricity of God is now flowing, and you are invited to tap into this reign and rule of God. Order your lives around this new reality. And what we realize as we read through the Gospel of Mark is that for those who respond to this invitation, it will call forth a major life change in their life. In fact, everything changes when we choose to be a part of the kingdom of God. Everything changes when we choose to make the will of God our top priority. When we respond to this invitation to repent and to enter into the kingdom flow of God, everything changes. How we view our lives our finances, our failures, our frustrations, our goals and aims and desires, and even our families. The kingdom of God impacts how we view our family and what it means to be a family, which is why I picked this passage in Mark 3 for today, because in Mark 3, we find Jesus in a place that may surprise us. He is in conflict. (laughs) Now, if you follow Mark's gospel for the first two chapters, then this is not going to surprise you. Because in Mark's gospel especially, we see how the kingdom of God changes everything by challenging everything. Jesus creates conflict because his kingdom message creates a challenge to every aspect of life. Jesus challenges who is clean and unclean, touching lepers, eating with sinners, Jesus challenges what holiness looks like, doing work and healing on the Sabbath. Jesus challenges unseen forces, driving out demons and evil spirits from all people. And that's just in the first two chapters of Mark's gospel. In fact, we barely step our toes into the first few verses of Mark 3, and we read that religious leaders of the day begin to conspire about how they might destroy Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus creates conflict with rival kingdoms. If you're like me and you start reading about all of this conflict, then you might decide to just stop reading. Because if you're like me, then you might default to avoiding conflict. But the thing we need to remember about conflict is that a benefit of conflict is that it has a way of clarifying things. Conflict well done can clarify what really matters to a person or a group of people. If we are willing to enter into the conflict, then we can clarify priorities. Conflict has a way of clarifying things. And by entering into the conflict and challenge of this passage today, then we begin to see what matters to Jesus. 
Because right after he has conflict with the religious leaders and clarifies what his ministry is really motivated by, then his family shows up and another kind of conflict occurs. Because sometimes there's conflict in families. Jesus is told that his family is outside. And when he is told that, he raises a question to create a conflict. Who are my mother and brothers? But then the clarity comes because then we read, Then he looked out at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus creates this moment of conflict involving his family in order to show what matters most to him and his kingdom mission. And by doing so, he turns a moment of conflict into a moment of clarity. He turns a moment of confrontation into one of explanation. Jesus reveals that what matters most to him is people who do the will of God. The top priority for him is people who are making the kingdom of God the top priority in their lives. Jesus is not saying here that our families don't matter, but he is helping us to clarify what should matter to our families, that no matter the shape of your family, it should strive to be a kingdom family, a family who seeks to do the will of God. But not just that, not only are we to make the kingdom a top value in our families, but we're also to see others who are making the kingdom a top value as a kind of family to us. That's the beauty and brilliance of Jesus here. He's not extinguishing our traditional notions of family, but he's expanding them. He's not belittling our biological connections, but he is highlighting theological connections. He is showing how disciples, those sitting at the feet of Jesus, are invited into a much larger family that includes anyone seeking first the kingdom of God. Who is a part of the kingdom family of God? Anyone who is doing the will of God. The kingdom of God changes how we view our families and how we think about our families. The kingdom family is the family that makes the will of God their top priority. The kingdom shapes our biological families and invites us into an even larger family. This is the beautiful thing that we see develop through the rest of the Gospels and the life of the early church, that the kingdom family is one who makes the will of God a top priority. We see this thing develop at the end of John's gospel as Jesus is hanging on the cross and below him, he speaks a word to both his mother and to the disciple whom he loves. He says this, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he says, here is your mother. At the foot of the cross, a new kind of family is created between all of us who seek to do the will of God. We see this theme continue to develop in the life of the early church. Paul is writing to small church plants time and time again, and he refers to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He refers to baptism as this moment when our relationships with each other change. We are now clothed with Christ and share a new identity as a part of the family of God. And striking to remember about Paul's language is to remember 
who Paul spoke these words to, different genders and social classes and ethnicities, people who on the surface seemingly had no connection, now have a new family connection because of their baptism into Christ. We see this theme develop in those early years of the history of the church as it was just this small movement in the shadow of the Roman Empire. One of the key reasons the church grew was because the church embodied a deep family kind of relationship that was deeper and more meaningful than many of the other superficial relationships offered in the ancient world. And whether we know it or not, this is a theme that continues to develop in our world today. The church still can be a place where people find a kingdom, family, a group of other men and women who are united at the foot of the cross, who find a new connection because of our shared baptism, and who are still called to embody a deeper relationship in our world. I can sometimes forget this because I come from a great biological family. I've been blessed and shaped by mom and dad who helped to instill faith in me from a young age, and I'm a better man for it. I am grateful for that kingdom priority they demonstrated. And because of my experience, I can sometimes forget that others in our midst have not had the same experience with their biological families. They've been through other struggles and challenges that impact how they view faith and the family of faith. In fact, I'm grateful for these voices, the voices of those with different family experiences because they help me to better see this kingdom family of faith of which I am a part. One of the voices for which I am grateful is is a friend of mine named Melissa. Melissa and her husband met many years ago at a college in Tennessee, and they spent time together soon after they were married, serving as missionaries in other parts of the world. They worked there for a while, and then they moved back to Tennessee, where I have been able to get to know them over the last few years. And a few years ago, I interviewed them in front of a group of young adults at our church, and I learned some aspects of Melissa's story that I never knew. I never knew that her parents were divorced when she was only two, that she was sent to live with her grandparents in another city. I never knew that that she never really had much of a relationship with her biological parents because her mother struggled with different challenges through her life, and her dad was largely absent. She grew up in a very non-traditional situation, and that shapes how she thinks about faith and the family of faith. And as I was reflecting on this passage recently, I couldn't help but think of her, and I asked her to, to reflect on these words of Jesus in Mark 3 with me. I wanted to hear what someone from her perspective had to say about the kingdom family of faith. I want to read those words to you, and I quote, I find great comfort in knowing that I belong to a family of Christ followers. No one can choose his or her biological family. I used to wish that my own family would have been different, 
that I would have known my mother, that my dad would have been in my life more, that I could have had siblings to lean on for support. At times, I have found it to be very difficult to come from the family that I've been given. However, it is a very powerful thing knowing that I belong to an even greater and bigger family of Christ, one that can care for me, pray for me, and be with me in good times and challenging times. Even though we may not share familial blood, we do share the blood of Christ together, which I think is an even bigger bond. Just recently, our family had the joy of welcoming a new life, a new baby girl. And during my stay at the hospital, I was visited by friends from our Bible class, from our elder and his wife. And after returning home, different people from my class stopped by with food for nearly two weeks so that I could recover after having our new baby. The presence of their love and generosity did not go unnoticed. Some of these individuals I didn't know very well, but even still, their service to our family during this time was very impactful to me, especially since I didn't have anyone from my own family present in the birth of my daughter. I think that choosing to do the will of God comes at a great cost. Sometimes it might mean turning down opportunities, going against the crowd, and even saying goodbye to your biological family. But it also comes with great reward. We are connected by the blood of Jesus and by His Holy Spirit. We're never to feel alone or abandoned, something that I've struggled with from time to time. The church, fellow believers, are to be a family. If you truly open your heart and are vulnerable to the people who are next to you during worship on Sunday morning or in your Sunday school class, you might find that those people who understand you the way that people in your own family might not be able to. What a great responsibility we have as Christians to exude the love of Christ and be family to people who may not have an earthly family to call their own. End quote. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom family of God. To be a people who are united by our common purpose of seeking first the kingdom. United by our common baptism in Jesus. Joined as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is who we're called to be. This is the kind of people we're called to be together. In 2010, a movie was released called The Way. It stars Martin Sheen, who plays a widowed father. And the movie opens with Sheen losing his only son to a hiking accident. His son was making his way down the Camino de Santiago, which is this 500-mile pilgrimage route for people of faith that starts in France and goes all the way to Spain. The movie, The Way, tells the story of how Sheen heads from his home in California to go to France to get the remains of his son. And Sheen, without any wife or children, decides to finish the journey with the ashes of his son to spread along the way. He begins that journey as this isolated 
grieving, widowed man. Yet during that 500-mile journey, Sheen experiences a series of changes. One of the biggest changes that is he meets and joins other companions on the journey. Other men and women, other social classes, other occupations, other opinions and preferences about life who are also journeying down this Camino de Santiago. And as they journey and join together, they, they become a kind of family to Sheen. They join him as he completes this journey for and with his son. Watching that movie, which I recommend, I could not but help think, what a great metaphor for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We start this journey from a variety of places and positions, stations and social classes, a variety of predicaments and possibilities when we begin with a single call from Jesus to simply follow me. And even though we start out with an individual call, we don't remain in that place alone. We begin our journey for and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And all along the way, we find all kinds of people heading on the same journey. Other men and women, other social classes and occupations, other opinions and preferences about life who become a kind of family to us. It's a family that's joined and united by this common goal and purpose of doing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, who are our mother and brothers and sisters, anyone seeking to do the will of God. And so this week, as we go out, as we try to be faithful people in the world, I pray that we would do that with these kingdom family lenses, that we would be on the lookout for others who are seeking to do the will of God, and that we would join with them and support them and encourage them and consider them a kind of family, a kingdom family. And for those of us who are trying to lead families, raise kids, be good grandparents, that that those kingdom family lenses would also shape our priorities in what we do as a family, what we try to hand down to our grandkids and our kids, that we would become kingdom family representatives no matter, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter if we had a good biological raising or a difficult biological raising, that we could see these beautiful words of Jesus, this beautiful promise of Jesus as this invitation into this journey, a journey that we do not walk alone, but a journey where we grow in community and companionship with this larger family of faith who will journey with us as we move down this path of life, seeking to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be these kinds of people this week. Amen.